Welcome to Beyond, conversations with artists, makers, explorers who have gone outside of the norm to create their own true world, to sing their own precious song. Each of us is born with a song inside, but most will die having never sung it. Imagine if, as a little child, instead of being asked, what will you do when you grow up? What will you be? Or what kind of job will you get when you grow up? If instead you are told, now is the time to listen. As you grow, listen for the sounds of your song. The song that comes from your blood, your bones, your people. Listen for the melody, the verses, the tune. And when you hear your song, sing it. Imagine that kind of world. That's the kind of world I'm devoted to building. I am your host, Daphne Cohn, the creator of multiple online programs, courses, and within a community for artists, makers, and writers dedicated to the courage and practice of singing their own song. I ask you, are you ready to sing your own song? Are you ready to go beyond? Welcome to my first solo cast, me sharing about how I practice soft courage, messy devotion, heart listening, and creating sacred spaces to make honest art. This is truly one of those spaces for me. Today, I'm talking about questions. I was recently interviewed on the podcast Atelier Talk with Stephanie Holman, and we talked about questions, why I love them, and how they bring freedom. After the podcast, some listeners wondered how asking questions relates to art, and others wanted to know how to ask the kinds of questions that bring freedom. Here is an attempt at my answer. I say an attempt because a big question like this will lead to an answer that will inevitably lead to more questions. The first time I remember hearing her voice, I was a sophomore in college. It was the middle of the day, I'd just eaten lunch, and I was leaving the coffee house to go to class, when from outside of me boomed the words, learn to listen. I looked around, I was sure others had heard it. No, no one else was looking at the sky, no one else was looking around, it seemed to be just me. Learn to listen. Now, at this time, I did not consider myself a very good listener. I liked to interrupt, and I like to prioritize my own thoughts over potentially somebody else's. So this message really struck me to my core, like a command or an omen. It became one of the first big questions I can remember sitting with. How do I learn to listen? What does this mean? About five years later, I ended up at a Buddhist Zen center. Now, I knew nothing about Buddhism, but something in me said yes. I went for a six-month farm apprenticeship, and I ended up staying for three years. Buddhism is a lot about learning to listen, listening to one's mind, one's breath, one's life. And living there made me sit still, get quiet, slow down, lean in. The noise of the world hushed in that space of silence. I believe that wherever that voice came from, the one that said learn to listen, it was the same place the urge to live at Zen Center arose from. Nine years later, when telesummits were first becoming a thing, I had an online business, and this was 2008. A business coach told me that telesummits were a great way to build my list, 
and this was good news since I didn't have a list. I thought that I would record myself talking about books that I loved. And when I told my husband about this, he said, well, what if you just interviewed the authors of the books and they could talk about the books that you love? I was like, okay, that's a good idea, a little scary. But at the point, at this time, this was new. Like, unless you were in radio, hardly anyone was doing this. So I decided I would do it, and I reached out to spiritual and wellness people, people whose books I loved and lives I admired, people like Debbie Ford, the late Debbie Ford, Byron Katie, Gabby Bernstein, Marie Forleo, Bruce Lipton, lots and lots of people, and they all said yes. Now, I didn't know how to conduct an interview. I never had before. I didn't know what kinds of questions to ask, and in part, it's because We're not taught how to ask big, expansive questions, which were the kinds of questions I wanted to ask in an interview. The average four-year-old asks about 400 questions a day, and then they enter kindergarten. And in class, they're told, raise your hand when you have a question. Wait until it's time for questions. And you're also told there are good questions and not so good questions. We learn this fast because as the years go by, we don't want to look stupid. We don't want to stand out. And so as the years go by, we ask fewer and fewer questions. And sometimes we get made fun of for asking certain kinds of questions. Sometimes people say, well, that's a stupid question. And even though people often say there are no stupid questions, we all know that's not true, that there are questions we will ask and other people will think, well, that's a stupid question. So we try to only ask the smart questions. And then by the time we're out of school, maybe we've stopped asking questions altogether. This is what we do. So I was nervous about asking questions because I didn't feel I was well-trained in asking questions. And when I'm nervous, I prepare. I do a lot of research. And at the time, I would have pages of notes. I wrote out every question word for word. Because in the beginning, I was terrified. I couldn't eat for 24 hours before any interview. I couldn't work on anything but the interview. My stomach was in knots. My nerves were frayed. I was, I was a mess for the whole time until the interview. But once the interview began, something shifted in me. I settled in. I listened. Later, I came to understand that listening is a key to asking big questions. And I was learning to listen. Now, some people call the questions I ask good questions or great questions, but I prefer not to evaluate or measure them. So instead, I call them big questions. Big questions, as I'm defining them here, are questions that invite explorations, questions that open conversations up, take people into new places, encourage pausing, Wondering, playing, wide open questions with wide open answers. We're also in this process of being taught not to ask questions. The kinds of questions we're taught to ask are questions that get specific answers, like the what and the where. Big questions tend to start with why or how. They aren't meant for one type of response. They leave room for wherever the question wanders. There's no right or wrong answer with a big question just exploration. This is such a shift from what we're taught around questions. Like we're asking a question for the right answer. In my mind, the kinds of questions I love the most don't hold right or wrong inside of them. 
So it turned out I loved interviewing people and I was good at it. So I continued on and off over the years. And then I moved to North Carolina. It was 2015 at the time and I was feeling very lost. I didn't know what I was doing with my work, with my life. I was in a new state, a new part of the country. I didn't know people. There was just nothing certain, nothing known in my life at this time. And I remember I was staring out the window of my office at the mountains, wondering what to do, what to do with my life. When I heard another voice, it said, an experiment in creative living. Okay, I did not know what that meant, but it gave me full body chills, goosebumps, heart flutters, the whole thing. I did not consider myself creative at this point. Despite all the creative work I was doing day in and day out, I just felt like creatives were the artist types, you know, the ones with the capital A, and that was not me. So I decided to do the one thing that I needed to do, which was to start interviewing people, asking them questions about creativity, what it is, how to be it, what a creative life looks like. And by now, having interviewed people for years, I still did a lot of research before each interview because that's just how I work, but I no longer typed out questions word for word, and I no longer relied on my typed out questions. I was deepening my practice of listening and asking big questions. So what does that mean? How does one do it? How are questions art, and why do I love them so much? Why does any of this matter? I'll start with why I love questions. I love questions because they open doors. They let me see what I can't see on my own. They widen my perspective and give me glimpses into other worlds. They teach me about life and what it is to be human. Because through questions, I uncover stories and discover new ways. Questions turn the end of something into the beginning. Now, a question, this may seem obvious, is only a question until it becomes an answer. So questions like, what is a big question, and how does one ask big questions, are the kinds of questions that are a little shy of answers. I can offer up some, but there will always be new ways, other ways, and the biggest questions seem to never resolve themselves into answers. Part of asking a big question is a willingness to let them stay questions, to come to questions that don't have to be the answer, but an answer, to ask them over and over and see what they grow into and who they become by letting them stay questions. Which brings me to how questions are art. To me, art is making something from nothing. It's using whatever we have, whoever we are, to create a meal, a garden, a painting, a song. Questions are one of the ways I make something from nothing. Conversations, interviews, discoveries, questions are the way I explore life. To ask a wide open question, a question that's about exploration and wonder, diving deeper, going further in, is an art. And there's the kind of question you ask when you're sitting down in your quiet time and you're writing and having space to to really sit with what rises up. And then there's the kind of question you ask when you're in front of somebody and it's coming up right in the moment. So I want to get to both of those. But first, I just want to say that a question trying to get a specific answer, like what kind of art supplies do you use? What time do you start your day? Those are useful questions, 
but I'm not calling them big questions because specific questions are designed for specific answers, whereas big questions go in many directions, questions that invite answers that lead to more questions, the kind of questions that are sometimes too big, the ones you might grapple with and have to come back to over and over, the ones where the answers change as you change, grow as you grow, questions that are always more question than answer. So how do you ask big questions? And I've thought about this a lot. Like I said, it's a big question. For now, because like all big questions that answer, they'll continue to evolve and lead to more questions, I've arrived at three things. The first is what I say, going down and wide. And, and so I want to say that right here, this is when you're asking questions in the moment to see what arises. So not necessarily prepared questions, not questions that you've sat with, but ones that arise in the moment. So often when we're in conversation with someone, we listen to have something to say. While someone else is speaking, ideas are sparking in our mind and we're forming our own response, our own thoughts, and then we wait for a pause to interject or we simply interrupt. And there's nothing wrong with this. This is a certain kind of conversation. However, it often doesn't lead to big questions. When I want to ask the kind of questions I ask in interviews, I go down and wide. The easy questions, the specific definitive ones, are up in my head. The bigger ones, the wider ones, are more feeling than form. They seem to come from my belly or pelvic region. They're more searching and at times awkward. It's like they're finding their shape as they leave my mouth and I will trip over the words as they're leaving. To get to those questions, I enter a different place from normal conversation. I have to quiet all of me. Quiet the voice that always has a story. Quiet the voice that's constantly ready to interrupt with my own thoughts, my own advice. And quiet the part of me that is desperate to be seen, noticed, valued. I have to quiet her most of all. I have to drop any agenda I might have of proving myself or taking center stage. The quieter I get, the deeper I listen, the questions begin to rise up. So I, I drop all the answers, every I know, and just be the student. When I get that quiet, I hear differently. More sounds find me. This is not an easy practice. This is a constant decision. I have to make it every time I want to ask the bigger questions. The second is letting go of judgment. <laughs> this is a tough one. <laughs> it's a tough one for me. If I'm listening in the way that I normally listen, my mind is searching for what is right, what's wrong, what if I agree or disagree, it's immediately jumping to the end. It doesn't want to stay in that middle space of I don't know. But what I'm judging like that, the big questions stay quiet. It's like they can't breathe in that space. So I have to drop the judgment. I have to make myself bigger to let in all the sounds without separating out good from bad without getting to the end, arriving at a conclusion. I have to stay, hang out in that in-between space. I become more like the sky 
allowing the words to be clouds passing by, waiting for those ones that ignite something in me, spark a light. This again, this is also a really conscious practice because the mind just, that's what it does. It judges. It wants to figure out right from wrong. It wants to know. So this practice of widening, of becoming like the sky is I almost see myself get bigger. I feel space open up in my body. Okay. The third one is being curious. As I said, the mind seems to be made to arrive at conclusions and to find truth in assumptions. We see someone, we think we know them. We're already arriving. To get curious is to not know, to be genuinely interested in the other, to want to enter into their world, get closer to their mind, and try to hear the beat of their heart. To hold, who are you? And I wonder what it is to be here as if there is nowhere else you need to go and nothing more interesting than what's before you. It's to put mystery before certainty and enter into what Zen calls beginner's mind. This is a quote I honestly can't remember where it came from. So apologies to whoever said it for not giving them credit. The concept of a beginner's mind is the development of a mindset that is willing to see everything as though it is for the first time. It is as though we are seeing the world through the eyes of a child, without predisposed judgments, opinions, or biases. Picture yourself as an empty cup that's open and receptive to being filled with fresh perspectives. Zen master Suzuki Roshi, who's the founder of the Zen Center that I lived in, said in his book Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. Just like how we learn not to ask big questions as we get older, this part is also really hard because we're taught that our value lies in what we know, in our expertise. As we become adults, our whole system of evaluating someone else is often But what do they know? What are they experts in? And we can feel the need to prove that expertise, to show up center stage, to show this is what I know. But big questions come from the places where we don't know, from beginner's mind. So it takes, again, it takes attention to come back to it, this conscious emptying out. Sometimes when I ask questions, people answer as if I'm silly or stupid. They assume that because I'm asking such big questions, it's because I know so little. I have to be willing to let go of all that to ask the kinds of questions that expand me and enliven me. I want to come back to this difference between like being with questions as you're sitting silently in your own space and in the conversation. Because when we're sitting silently and we're writing out questions, which is an amazing time to, to explore big questions, We're not bumping up against our ego and the egos of others. There's a lot of space to just explore what wants to rise up. That is a beautiful way to practice asking big questions in the privacy of your own space, with your own being, your own mind, without any of that judgment. So that then when you're in conversation with somebody else, that 
practice of stepping into those big questions can become more natural and dropping the ego, dropping that need to prove, to know, to take center stage can become a little easier. This, of course, you know, ask being in conversation this way is for me easiest in interviews where the space is designed for big questions. People are prepared for it. I'm given full permission to ask. It can be much more difficult in regular conversations and it's not always so appropriate. You have to, you know, as they say, read the room. Sometimes the questions I ask, they're not meant for just the regular moment to moment conversations. So I pay attention to that too. But my favorite conversations are the ones where I feel full permission to ask the big questions and play in the field of curiosity and mystery. I would say that I'm still very much learning to listen, that this command I heard so many years ago is a lifelong practice, but it was the first key on this path of questions, this path of freedom. And like I said at the beginning, This is the kind of question that will continue to have answers. The answers will emerge as I deepen my practice of asking questions, as I open wider to how other people ask big questions, as I pay more attention to others, learn from others, become more because of others. This answer, these answers will change. But for now... This is part of why I love questions, why they bring me freedom, and how I ask them. I truly feel that questions matter because questions help us connect to each other. They help us see differently. They help give us new perspectives. And as this world spins on its axis and we enter into more and more challenging times. Questions are a true creative act that can change the way we live and what we do on this precious, precious planet. If this moved you or inspired you in some way, take time with it. Let the words settle in. And if you feel called to share this episode with someone else, please do. For all show notes and past episodes and to learn about all offerings, go to DaphneCone.com or WithinCommunity.com or IlluminHour.com. And if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can do that over on iTunes or Spotify and you can review it over at iTunes. If you'd like to be part of Illumin, come whenever it fits your schedule. We will be here making. And thank you for listening.